Well, good morning. I believe you came to worship. Welcome to another week of protest, friendly, that is, friendly protesting. There are three things that I believe uh, you need, uh, probably more than that, but I'm gonna give you three, how's that? In this season that we're in, it demands more of you than in an earlier season. And it is a preparation season. It is a season when you have to take stock in who you are and who your God is. Do not think that the difficulties of this day will end with an election or with a new year. You see, culture shifts, and we've been changed long enough now that the culture has shifted in a lot of people. And the way that you look at life, the way that you look at your future, and the way that you look at your God. And you have to recalibrate in a new season. You have to ask yourself the hard questions, the good questions, the questions that have eternal ramifications to them. When we first moved here, I felt guilty because the weather was so good. I felt like I was on vacation all the time. And instead of talking about great ideas, everyone talked about jet skis. Nothing wrong with jet skis. But great ideas must engage your mind along with the word of God and the power of God. Amen? Three things you need are unshakable faith, first of all. An unshakable faith, an unwavering testimony, and an unbending courage. Let me give those to you again. You need an unshakable faith, an unwavering testimony, and an unbending courage. If you will write those down and remember those three things, and ask yourself throughout the days and the weeks that are coming, do I have an unshakable faith? Or has my faith been shaken in this season? Do I have an unwavering testimony? Do I stand for Christ? Do I speak his name? You see, it has to be more than just lifestyle. It has to be the words of God spoken. How shall they hear unless they hear the word of God? And then you have to have an unbending courage. Courage is not something you're born with. Courage is something that happens when you make decisions about what's important in your life. It's foundational for all other characteristics. And when you say that, just speaking that word and saying, I will be courageous, there's something that happens to you mentally, and the nerve endings begin to, to work their way into your whole life from your mental thoughts, and all of a sudden they're activating, go, I am courageous, and I will be courageous in the days of head. I want you to know that God's prophetic plan will ultimately supersede all human political maneuvering and economic pressure. Isn't that good news? Amen. Put your hands together if you think that's some good news. You see, America's situation does not depend upon luck or fate, or I might add, or the election, or the maneuvering of politicians on either side. It all comes back to God. 
Theologian Wayne Grudem said, there is no such thing as luck or chance. All things come to pass by God's wise providence. This means that we should adopt a much more personal understanding of the universe and the events that are in it. The universe is not governed by an impersonal fate or luck, but by a personal God. Nothing just happens. We should see God's hand in events throughout our day. No wonder the scripture says that whatever you do in word or deed, do unto the glory of God, because God is, is guiding, God is directing, and God is overseeing every day of your life. As God works through these, day, these events in the day, causing all things to work together for the good for those who love him. You see, not everything works out for the good. It only works out for the good when you love God, when you're called according to his purpose. That is, when you follow God. Sometimes we wanna just say, well, I'm a Christian, therefore all things work out together for the good. Not everyone who is a Christian loves him. You see, it's possible to love the world and the things that are in the world. Ever thought about that, did you? How many of you look at me like it's the first thought I ever had in my life, that I could know God and not love him. You see, if you don't break the, 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 the bondage that you have to the things in this life, you can never have the love of God that he intends you to have. Undivided, devoted love that puts him first, and that only comes by taking up the cross daily, acknowledging him, and realizing that it's him in you, living out his life, Christ in you, that is Christianity. In a somewhat unknown book entitled The Book of Prophecies, Christopher Columbus conveyed his belief that the discovery and the purpose of America was anything but accidental. He firmly believed that he was fulfilling a divine destiny and attributed his discovery to Almighty God. Isn't it interesting that most of the things that we really need to hear, we don't hear? The things we should be reading, we don't read. Upon reading the book of prophecies, you'll be amazed by Columbus's understanding of the Holy Spirit, both in guiding him to America and comfort in the midst of skeptics. Columbus, when addressing his sovereigns, that is, the kings, uh, queens of Spain, he said at this time, quote, I have seen and put into study to look all, into all the scriptures, histories, chronicles, philosophy, and other arts, which our Lord opened up my understanding. I could sense his hand upon me, he said. So that it became clear to me that it was feasible to navigate from here to the Indies. He unlocked within me the determination to execute the idea. Have you ever thought about when God puts something in your heart, it was put in there for a reason? It wasn't just a random thought that said, boy, that's cool, I should consider that. No, you have to also understand that the origin of it and then the execution of it is on your part. You will do something with that great idea that God gave you. You won't let it simmer. I've said before that the richest place on earth is not the gold or the oil fields of the world. It's not the financial centers of the world, it's the cemetery. Because there are buried dreams and ideas 
that never got birth because someone stood back and said, wasn't that a great idea, and then failed to execute. I believe that there are, in this idea, great ideas. There are people here who will solve problems, worldwide problems, who will come up with innovation and creativity unseen in the world if you will just release it. Don't say, well, it's just me, who am I? You are just as significant as anybody on planet Earth because you are created in the image of Almighty God. And God wants to infuse his spirit with your mind and your heart so that you become so productive that people say, where did you get that? And you go, I believe God gave that to me, amen? He went on to say, all those who heard about my enterprise rejected it with laughter, scoffing at me, neither the sciences which I mentioned above nor the authoritative citations from them were of any avail. In only your highness remained faith and constancy. Who doubts that this illumination was from the Holy Spirit? Did you ever think you'd hear those words out of Christopher Columbus? I attest that the Spirit with marvelous rays of lights, consoled me through the holy and sacred scriptures, encouraging me to proceed and could continually, without ceasing, for a moment, they inflame me with a sense of great urgency. If you want to read more, go on Amazon and order the prophecies of Christopher Columbus. It's in print. And you can understand something about the divine hand that was guiding this nation. And now we find ourselves in a time, in a season, that we did not anticipate. We really felt like the First Amendment was the do-all, have-all, be-all for our future, and now it itself is being challenged. You need unshakable faith. Can you say with me, unshakable faith. If you will make that a determination in your life, I will have unshakable faith. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 20. Jesus said this, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Well, that doesn't seem fair. Ever read scripture like that and just go, Really, Jesus? Are you sure about this one? Sheep surrounded by wolves don't last very long unless they have some secret weapon. Amen? He says, therefore, as you go out as sheep among wolves, I want you to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. What an interesting thing to tell us. I want you to be crafty or wise like a serpent. What is a serpent known for? Well, one thing is camouflage. You can walk by a serpent and not even notice it's there. Instinct. They don't move unless it makes sense in their instinct to do that, and cunning. He's telling his sheep, his followers, I want you to, to walk into this world camouflage, so to speak. I want you to get things done without anybody know you're getting things done. I want you to be able to speak, and I want you to speak with cunning, and I want you to speak in such a way that you say, how do I leverage this situation for the kingdom of God? And then I want you to be innocent like doves. Remember, it was the dove that Noah sent out, and, and it brought back the olive branch, and then uh, it was a symbol of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. He said, I want you to be like that. I want you to be both things. He says, beware of men. Ladies, this is written to all of us. 
Beware of men. Why did he say that? Because he knew what was in men's hearts. You see, apart from God, the Bible says we are all sinners and come short of the glory of God. Just because you say, well, I think the world, I think people in the world are just basically good. No, they're not. That's what the world wants you to believe. The Bible says we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. There are some people that are better than other people's in terms of their character and, and their behavior, but deep down we're all rebels against God. And we have to be broken before God, understand it was the cross that was our sins were placed on the cross, and we have to put our faith in that Jesus who died, buried, and rose again, and will return in glory for his children. He says, beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in the synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, I love this, do not worry about how or what you should speak. Has worry ever helped anyone in this room? Have you ever had a good day of worry and just said, you know, I feel so good now? People go, how are you doing today? Man, I just, I don't know why, I'm, I'm just, I feel like a new human being. I've worried all day. And it never accomplishes anything. Have you noticed that? What do you ever get out of worry? And you, and you can't keep worrying yourself. You gotta share it. Right? You gotta find somebody who's not worried, get them worried, so you got two worried people going together. Then before long, you can start a whole link group of worried people. He says, don't worry, I'm gonna take care of you in that moment. I'm gonna give you what you need, what you should speak. He said, for it will be given to you in that hour. In other words, he assumes that you're walking with God on a daily basis, and when you encounter a problem, you already have the resource to pull from to be able to speak in that moment, activated by the Holy Spirit of God. So you're not going, well, I don't know, what, what would I say in that moment? Don't worry. Walk with God daily, and you'll have everything you need. He said, it is, for not, it is not you who speaks. Look what it says. But the spirit of your Father who speaks in you. See, I don't have to have all the answers. If I think I have to have all the answers, I'm gonna worry. I don't have to have all the answers. He already has all the answers. All I need to do is just release him in the situation, and he'll take care of the problem. Amen? So he says, let's go back over this. Wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove. You need to be thinking, how can I be in my situation crafty or wise like a serpent, but all the time maintaining purity and walking before God? Worry does not provide any answers. I think we could all agree with that one. And God will give you what you need when you need it. Well, what about tomorrow? It may never come. That's what the Bible says. Hey, you've got enough trouble today. Isn't that enough to concentrate on? You want to think about what's going to come down tomorrow? Oh, how about next week? Well, I'm just trying to plan out the rest of my life. Good luck. How many of you think we planned out this season? There was no planning going on. This We were just going through the motions, right? Everything's good. We'll meet next week, and all of a sudden, oh, you can't meet. Oh, can't sing. Oh, it's a problem. 
We have a record label. We have to sing. Second thing you need, it is unwavering testimony. Your testimony has to be strong. You know the word testimony comes from the Greek word martus, where we get our English word martyr. In other words, when you speak, you should expect to be martyred. People say, well, they don't like me when I talk about Jesus. Oh, really? Jesus said they've hated me, they're gonna hate you too. You say, well, everybody likes me, then you're probably not giving your testimony. Ouch. Have you been martyred for your testimony lately? The Apostle Paul in Galatians 6, I bear in my body the marks, the scars that I have suffered for the cause of Christ. You want to know if I'm a, I've given my testimony? I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, I've been left for dead, I've been judged. I've been run out of cities, and yet he kept the course. Keep the course. Acts chapter two and verse 38. The apostle Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. He said, let all of Israel know, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. He's saying that in the midst of a hostile crowd. The crowd that crucified Jesus and cried out for his blood over that of a murderer. He stood up and he said these words, repent and let every one of you. What should we do? Repent. What does repent mean? Stop doing what you're doing and head in the direction of God. It's as easy as that. It's a word that literally means to turn about and go the other way. He says repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. He made it pretty simple, pretty straightforward. He said baptism is for all true believers. We were going through some old pictures. Don't you love old pictures? It's not quite as fun anymore, you know, just hand somebody your phone. There's something about an old picture that just kind of resonates, you know, and I have all these pictures from my family and Tammy's family. We were going through them, and I came across two baptismal certificates for me, one when I was a baby and one when I was a believer. I don't remember being baptized as a baby. I'm sure I got mad. Why is that man getting me wet? Why is he wearing that funny robe? You see, baptism is for believers. It's not for babies. Just as simple as that. It's just New Testament. Everybody, every believer in the New Testament that was baptized was baptized by immersion. That means under the water. They were baptized in a reflection on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, I am buried with him by baptism into death, so as Christ was raised from the dead, so I might walk in newness of life. So when you put somebody in the water and you lay them into the water, it's a picture when they're laying down in the water of their death to sin. When you bring them up, which I highly recommend, when you bring them up, it's a picture of the resurrection. 
It doesn't wash away your sins. You know, we don't have to, the water may get dirty after a while, but it's not because of sin. It's just because too many people have gone through those waters. That's when it's good, though. When we first uh, opened the church at El Rancho, uh, we still use the same baptismal horse troughs to baptize people we did from the day one. I don't know that we'll ever get more sophisticated than that. I know, brother, you said you wanted to get baptized, and we're going to let Nate and about four other guys baptize you. You're a pretty big guy. Stand up. Just show them how big you are. Look at this guy. <laughs> Plays football at UConn. Is that where? Yep. All right. So, Pastor Nate, you got your hands full. Well, I remember one time we, we would drink the hose over and we'd get it over there and we were so happy we had it nice and warm. We were gonna do a sunrise baptism and somebody had, was smart enough to bring a thermometer and check the water temperature. It was 135 degrees. <laughs> now, that's, not, that's a bad hot tub, let alone a baptismal. So then we're, we're shuffling buckets of ice trying to cool it down before the service started. The Bible says that baptism is for all true believers. If you've been saved, then you need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. You see, it's not an option. Well, I just, do I really need that to go to heaven? Are you going to heaven if you ask that question? Because it was a command of our Lord. Go therefore, make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, Matthew 28. That is an imperative in the Greek, it's a command, not an option. Baptisms for all. It is a public expression of faith. There's something happening, well, can I have a private baptism? Why, so you can live out private Christianity? Christianity is supposed to be public. Supposed to be radical if you're a Christian. Amen? We were saved to be counterculture radical people who were innocent like doves, but crafty like serpents, who were like sheep going in the midst of wolves, but we were going to be protected because be of good cheer, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And I'm in you, so be of good cheer. We have a baptism coming up. Here's a slide with some of the details. You can see this on your, your uh, app if you're on your phones or on our website. But baptism is going to be on the 18th. That's in two weeks. If you want to be baptized, you can go on your phone. You can sign up for that. You can, you can go out to Link Central. You can connect with them, and they can give you more information on how you can get baptized on that day. And it's always a great day. We're going to do it outside this time under the... Uh, under the tarp, we normally do it in here, but now we have a pavilion. Genesius was a jester in the court of Emperor Diocletian. If you've never heard of Diocletian or some of his evil tactics, he made it his aim to destroy as many Christians as he could. He had a court jester who would come in and they would do mock kind of baptisms or preaching or Lord's Supper. And he was asked to perform a mock baptism by Diocletian, but something happened in the middle of the baptism. He was born again. And the words that he spoke 
resonated in his heart in such a way that he was transformed in the very act of mockery before the emperor. Before he was beheaded, which happened immediately after this, he gave this testimony. I came here today to please an earthly emperor, but what I have done is to please a heavenly king. I came here to give you laughter, but what I have done is give joy to God and his angels. From this moment on, believe me, I will never mock these great mysteries again. I know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the true God, the light, the truth, and the mercy of all who have received his gift of baptism. O great emperor, believe in these mysteries, and I will teach you, and you will know the Lord Jesus Christ is the true God. That's a public testimony. He was beheaded, but guess what? His baptism was a picture of the resurrection, and it is for you and I today. Romans chapter six, verses four and five. Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death. So in baptism, what I'm doing is I'm identifying with his death. I'm saying his death makes all the difference in my life. I identify with his death. It was for my sins. And that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be united together in the likeness of his resurrection. It is the clearest portrayal of the gospel that we have. It is so simple. It is a great opportunity when you're baptized to invite your friends. Say, come to my baptism and watch me get baptized, and then you can tell them about Jesus. Now, why are you getting baptized by immersion? Wouldn't a hose be simpler? It would be simpler. There are grand stories of how the Catholic Church, when it marched across Europe, and they would conquer a town, and then the priest would get out there with a, with a limb off of a tree, and he would dip it in the water, and he'd shake every, the water on everybody, sprinkling them with water. He said, you are now a member of the Holy Catholic Church. They weren't redeemed. They didn't know the Lord. I didn't know the Lord baptized as a baby. I had to come to a place where I encountered him and I realized I could not save myself, and apart from him, I was separated from God for all eternity. And I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we also need an un in, unbending courage in our life. But I get this question all the time. I, I got up this morning, and my, I looked out, and my wife was sitting outside, and she was. I said, what are you studying? She said, I'm studying the book of Revelation. She had charts in front of her, and I thought, wow, this is pretty serious for 6.30 in the morning. No, nothing like a couple of bold judgments and trumpets to get you woken up. But why the interest? Why am I asked now more than ever, where are we at in this season of prof prophecy? Luke chapter 21, verses nine through 11, Jesus said, but when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. I could add in there, when you hear of pandemics and cities being burned, don't be terrified. You see, we, we become afraid when we don't know if God's gonna come through. 
That's really what makes us afraid. What if he doesn't come through? Well, then maybe you need a new God. Trade that one in on a new one, the one of the Bible, because he said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? You remember in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the king said, bow down and worship me. Worship this idol that I have made. And they said, king, we're not gonna bow down. And if our God delivers us, so be it. If not, but we will not worship. They said, if we burn, we burn, but we will not bend. Never bend, never bow the knee to anybody but God. For these things must come to pass. What's gonna come to pass? Wars and commotions? Yes. For these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. So when you're seeing these, Matthew calls these the birth pangs. You ladies understand that, right? The birth pangs. There's something, wow, I think this is it. Not yet. It's not it yet. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. If you're taking notes and you have your Bible, I always tell people in that margin right there to write 1914 through 1917 because that was the first time the world was engaged in nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. It was called World War I. You see, if you understand history and you understand the Bible, you can read them together and you can begin to put together pieces of this puzzle. You don't end up with the, the exact date of the return of the Lord, but you get seasons and you get periods where you can start to understand it. He said there will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence. Well, we've got some of those going on. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from the heaven. Now let me take you to this chart. This is one we've shown you earlier, but I wanna take you to a different part of it. When you think about uh, the end times, uh, if I can just take you through this period up to the rapture of the church, uh, that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, if you want to read a little bit about the rapture of the church. The word rapture means the catching up. The word rapture is actually a Latin word. It does not appear in the New Testament as such, but that word when translated means the catching up. You could also put next to that Revelation chapter four and verse one. Because in Revelation chapter four and verse one, the Bible says that John is invited up to heaven by God and there's a door opened in heaven. When the door opens in heaven, it is a picture of the raptured saints in heaven and then John watches the entire tribulation from heaven to earth. The second time the door opens is Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. When that door opens, now Christ is coming back, the second coming, with his church. And so you see, it's very simple, laid out in a way that you can grab and put your hands around it. There are some events that are gonna happen. We've talked a little bit about Ezekiel 38 and 39. That is this coalition of nations that come up against the nation of Israel. That is the next big prophetic event, in my opinion, and you're going to see nations come that have strange names in, in the book of Ezekiel, like Gog and Magog and Tagarma and Gomer, um, 
and some of these nations are gonna come, and they're gonna come together. But those nations are Gog and Magog, Russia, Tagarma, Turkey, Gomer, Germany, Persia, Iran, and then it says Ethiopia, but that's the Ethiopia of the Saudi Peninsula, not the Ethiopia of Africa. So this peace agreements that are coming right now, they do at least give us a picture of what's coming for peace in the Middle East, because that will happen. So when you see United uh, Emirates come in under a peace accord, and you see uh, Bahrain come in, and you're gonna see probably two or three more, I believe, in this year, you're gonna see all of those coming together against the nation of, of Iran, because they're the big threat, because of their nuclear capacity and their willingness to use them. And so when you begin to see these things come together, it says there's gonna be a coalition that's gonna try to crush the nation of Israel. They will come up against Israel. But the Bible says God will intervene, and four-fifths of all the armies that come up against Israel will be lost in battle in Israel. It'll take seven years to clean up the mess, the Scripture says. Every wall will fall. If every wall is falling, that means the wall that holds up the mosque will fall, and there will be then uh, the reinstitution of the Jewish uh, temple on that mound, the original place. That's what it was always for. That was that dates back to the time of David, King David, and they will rebuild and they will reinstitute the sacrificial system in Israel as it was in the Old Testament, and this will be during this period of the tribulation, Revelation 6 through 19. We, we all kind of know about that big event at the end of that. It's called Armageddon. It happens in the Valley of Megiddo. Uh, when Napoleon was there, uh, he went to the Valley of Megiddo and said it was the most perfect battleground he'd ever seen in his life. And so we see these prophetic things coming, and they're in place right now. I went to Ace Hardware the other day. I wanted to get some ant killer. Must have been a big day for ants. They were all out of ant killer. I went up there and I pulled out my $10 bill. I found something I could exterminate ants with. And it said, uh, exact change only. Coin shortage. I wouldn't think much about that, except that I've read my Bible. And it says there's coming a time in that tribulation period where no one will be able to buy or sell unless they have the mark on the hand or the forehead, the mark of the beast. And I realize everything is moving away from physical currency into digital world, and we think the, that, well, this is just gonna be my card. No, the card will become a security risk. So when you understand what's happening in your world and you understand the environment you're living in, things begin to make sense. Let me take you a little bit further into Luke. Luke 21, verse 25 through 28. It says, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and the stars. You know what's interesting about that? That phrase almost exactly occurs in the book of Genesis chapter one when it says God made the sun, the moon, and the stars, and they will be for days, for weeks, for times and for seasons. They will be for signs and seasons. He brings it back here and he says, I'm going to show you something in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the earth distress of nations with perplexity. You see, perplexity means that you look at your world and go, why is everybody gone crazy? 
I mean, have you had that thought? I mean, it's like, this isn't even logical. Because all of us, I think, in this room, we want to live peaceful, prosperous lives. We want to raise children. We want to we go to Disneyland, my gosh. Amen? But it says there's going to be perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear. Why? At the expectation of those things which are coming to the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. By the way, the powers of the heavens are not the sun, the moon, and the stars. It's the spiritual forces of wickedness that are engaging you and trying to bring you down, compromise your faith, distract you from the kingdom. He says, I'm gonna shake the very heaven of the heavens, the principalities and the powers. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. If you want a great study, study clouds in the Bible. Remember Israel was led by a cloud, remember that? Follow the cloud, follow the cloud. Remember the Egyptians were on the other side of the cloud and they were afraid. Make sure you're on the right side of the cloud. Amen? When Jesus was ascended there in the book of Acts chapter one, the angel said, why are, you, why are you staring into space like this is something strange? This Jesus who was taken up in the clouds will come in like manner. And here's the like manner right here. Now when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Now here's one thing I know. There are three types of people that will, have, that will be on planet Earth when Christ returns. Number one, there will be the redeemed. Redeemed means you're saved, you're born again. Redeemed means you've come to faith in Jesus Christ. Redeemed means you've been changed. Doesn't mean you go to church. You can go to church and not be redeemed. There has to be in your heart of hearts a knowledge that I have been born again into the kingdom of God. Secondly, there'll be those who are deceived. They honestly believe they know God. Matthew 7 says that they come in that last day and they say, Lord, Lord. He said, depart from me, I never knew you. But they said, but Lord, look at what we did in your name. He said, depart from me, I never knew you. You see, you don't wanna be deceived thinking you're saved and not being saved. And then the third type of people be those who simply refuse. I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with the church. I'm fine. I even have people when I sometimes I share faith with them, they'll laugh and they'll say, I wanna go to hell because all my friends are gonna be there. You've probably heard that comment. Let me give you the answer. The answer is you won't know or see anybody. It is utter darkness. There will be no associations whatsoever. You wanna talk about social distancing. We know where it came from. Hell. Amen? So let me ask you, which one of those three are you? Redeemed, deceived, or simply refusing to believe? I would that all of you were the redeemed, but some of you may 
not yet have come, because you've been deceived. You thought you had faith, you thought you were a believer, but, but in this moment, there's a Spirit of God, He speaks to you. That's how salvation comes, by the way. It, it doesn't come by a persuasive message, it comes by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he convicts people of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. So my heart goes, you know, I don't think you know me. And you go, oh, that's not good. What do I do? You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're refusing, just realize, if you just open up your heart a little bit and say, God, I want to believe. I'm struggling, but I want to believe. Give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to work in your heart, to work in your life. I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now to pray a prayer of salvation. Whether you're here, outside, or you're watching online, you can pray this prayer. Very simple, but it's your faith that matters. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you were buried. From my sins, you rose again to give me eternal life, the gift of life. And I receive you now, Lord Jesus, into my heart. If that was your prayer, you can thank him right now in your own words. Thank him for saving you. His promises are true, his promises are good. And you need Christ in this season more than any other season. I hope that was your prayer. Share that with us. Continue to walk with God, be faithful to God. Amen.